This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Welcome to episode 352 of the Yellow Wall Pod. I'm your host Stefan Butzko and today we will talk about why Borussia Dortmund lost to Union Berlin and on a completely unrelated note why corner kicks should be abolished and we will preview Tuesday's DFB-Pokal second round game against second Bundesliga side Eintracht Braunschweig. For all that and more joins me Matthias Zug. Hello Matthias. How are you doing? What's going on? Well at least the sun is shining. <laughs> So, you know, there there's that. Um it it was not the greatest of sporting weekends in my house, so how how, how did may, the Cowboys may as well talk do? about it again? How did they the actually won, probably because oh, really? they weren't on TV, but you know, Notre Dame lost to Clemson and Spurs and Broncos. It's just yeah. Anyway, so let's talk about some good stuff. How are you doing? I'm just in a splendid mood because I just uh uh looked at uh, the way Dortmund conceded the uh, corner goals again just now and uh, yeah it's it's downright hilarious even though i'm not entirely sure how to dive into this segment other than uh, that Dortmund obviously lost 2-1 to Union Berlin it uh, means that Borussia Dortmund is the uh, first club that Union Berlin beats in consecutive home games so congrats to the uh, somewhat still newly promoted team i guess in their second season uh, they uh, are i think now one point behind Dortmund and Dortmund now will celebrate Christmas on the Europa League spot. Isn't that something, Matthias? Hey, I've never won that competition, okay? <laughs> you know, just trying to add another one to the trophy cabinet. Yeah, but you can also just finish third in the group phase. You know, um, one should always remain optimistic. You can finish <laughs> second as well. I mean, it's... I would say a very typical Dortmund performance in just so many ways. Uh, Tessic did make too many changes from the uh, 2-1 win against Bremen. Uh, Meunier, I think, replaced Morey on the right side and then John uh, replaced Bellingham. Matthias, did you expect more rotation or do you think it was just limited due to all the injuries that Dortmund have? Like, for example, Torgen Hazard, who I thought would... For example, start was uh, not uh, available due to some muscular injury. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it 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 just has to be that because I remember during the game, I was you know looking at the lineup. I'm like, okay, who could one bring in now? And I was looking at it and going, well, shit, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you know, Dahoot, who obviously could, you know, I think he's just cursed. He must have done something to somebody at some point, and he's forever cursed. But other than that, yeah, no, I think it's just a limitation of who's available and who the coaching staff believes that they can trust in difficult matches and circumstances, which obviously says a lot about some of the players that are available that didn't start. Uh, Julian Brandt, I'm looking right at you. Uh, and Dahut to a degree as well. So there there are those question marks, um, but I think he's just limited with his options. 
Yeah, uh, it, it 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 feels like it, and I think we'll talk about the substitutions uh, in a little while. But Matthias, um, I have to say, reverting to the four two three one and the, the way Dortmund are playing, this <laughs> I almost hate myself for saying this, but it feels a little bit like Stögerball at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it does. Maybe with a little bit more forward thinking impetus, but that may be simply down to the players at one's disposal versus necessarily the coaching decisions. Um, I'm not going to go as far as Mehmet Scholl, who was extraordinarily, honestly, cruel towards Edin Tazic and saying there's just not a lot there, which is a, an awfully extreme prick thing to say, given that, as Tazic says, you know, Mehmet Scholl doesn't really know me. Uh, just like I don't really know him, even though Tezic probably knows him better than Mehmet Shaw deems it worthy to know Edin Tezic. Uh, but obviously there may be certain limitations there. It it does feel a lot like it did a few years ago. Um, you know, when you look at where Dalton would sit in the table, when you look at certain discussions and issues, the one big Difference, obviously, is Schalke are not overperforming this season, <laughs> um, unlike at that time. So, yeah, if hey, we feel like we could do know. a little Schalke segment later uh, on. You know, may as well, you know, you need to bring some levity to this, right? Yes. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think there's just certain limitations and certain things that, let's be honest, there's not a lot of time. And unlike when Stuga came in for Bosch, they did a swap at a point in time where there was a winter break. They don't have that now. So there's not really much there. And Tezic even said it in the press conference today, I believe it was. He said that today's training was the first with the entire team. I mean, yeah, just think about think that. About it. So, yeah. so how much can you expect from a new head coach who is Semi-new. 38 years old <laughs> when he doesn't have the whole team to work with when they're playing every two to three days. I mean, it's just to expect more from a young, inexperienced coach is honestly is a little bit asinine, which does lead me to Mehmet Shaw uh, when we speak of asinine. But... I, I think it, it needs to go beyond the coach there, and obviously the players need to come. So it's just the timing's tough. He did say it'll be nice now that we have this mini break of like a week that the players can go home over Christmas, except, you know, obviously Bellingham and Sancho, because, I mean, they can go home. They just can't come back. Um, To just chill for a few days, clear your head, and then come back and work at everything he said that's not the case case for the coaches. You know, the, the coaches are out there working, uh, analyzing. They already did it after uh, Bremen. You know, they 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 practiced on Saturday, but then the players had the day off on Sunday, but the coaches came in and worked. So those are all things I like to hear. The one thing I love about Tezic is way more open <laughs> than most of his predecessors were. And part of that is probably youthful naivete. Um, but it's nice to hear because he, you can sit there and he shares his thoughts. Why did we do this? Why did we not do that? What was the thought behind this? Where were the issues and the goals conceded that you so masochistically decided to watch again? Um, 
and and <laughs> I do so I I I like him. I like the guy. I just think it's just tough. It's a tough situation right now. No, it it, it is terribly tough. Um, especially because, like he said at the very first press conference, it's not like Dortmund really collapsed. Uh. Where where you could already see it coming from uh, like eight miles ago. I I really do think that it has to do obviously with the uh, absence of Arling Haaland and his presence on the football pitch. And without him, Dortmund are obviously uh, different. Um, but also just the uh, the amount of games, the uh, fatigue. I've talked about this a million times already, but I I, I honestly believe that. Um, with the Cologne game starting a little bit after that international break, um, that uh, things things got tough for Dortmund. I mean, they uh, had to play against Hertha, then Lazio, and you know all these uh, games. They they make you very tired, especially when you are uh, sort of summer preseason isn't long, and the uh, previous season, uh, you, you know, was also kind of weird. And now you don't have a winter break. It's 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 going to be tough, and I think it's going to get a little tougher. And um, yeah, so with the uh, lack of rotation, uh, it's also not going to be very easy to play against this Union Berlin, who um, obviously uh, managed to get a draw against Bayern Munich and then a draw against VfB Stuttgart. And they are kind of on a roll now. Um, and it was also very interesting to see how they lined up because um, it was sort of a 4 1 for one I mean, I expected to Taivo Avoni uh, up front because he is... Um, uh, in the absence of of Kruse and uh, I think his name is Anderson, right? Um, or was that the guy who went to Cologne? I'm I'm confused for a minute. Yeah, Anderson left. Um, yeah. So any any who, but uh, he right now is sort of their their lead striker. But what I found very interesting is uh, that they had a double eight with Sebastian Griesbeck and then freaking Cedric Teuchert. And uh, I'm already annoyed by saying this because he is obviously a product of the Knappenschmiede. Uh, meaning he is a he is a striker usually, um, and uh, yeah, coming from Gelsenkirchen, obviously that he has been uh, sort of implemented as a number eight, sort of more of a midfield enforcer really, and to do what strikers do in their sort of defensive duties just uh, for ninety minutes more or less. Um, that's just super annoying that um, that this sort of thing works out. <laughs> like on a on a personal level, that this Schalke guy. Uh, is being played there, and then uh, I think ahead of the two one, he he was the guy who who uh, sort of regained this the second ball that uh, that lose a kanji header into midfield, um, where Teuchert was just standing in the center circle, and no, obviously Dortmund shirt around him because Julian Brandt was I don't know playing tiddlywinks, and then uh, yeah, the ball I think came from Anu. Uh, Avonivo to to Becker or, or, or was it, no it wasn't wasn't Becker it was uh, the substitute what's his name Ryerson and uh, he just went to the corner flag and uh, looked at Gio Reyna and just pinked the ball against him and then won the corner which led to the two one um, so uh, just just thinking about the play that that led to this uh, winning goal from Union Berlin I'm just very annoyed because. It's also very simple, you know, it starts with a punt from Lute and then, you know, one header in, into Nirvana and, you know, Union, it, it just felt like at this moment Union had didn't even have to try that hard f to, to create a goal against Dortmund and that just annoys me to no end that uh, you feel like in the final 15 to 16 minutes of the game uh, 
Dortmund were never going to really uh, mount another face of pressure, but it just sort of a, feels like a scrappy second Bundesliga game and not, uh, you know, Union Berlin against uh, Borussia Dortmund, where Dortmund should, in theory, be the, be the side with more gas in the tank and, uh, you know, push the uh, opposition back into the box and then mount some power player. So, no, it's the, the sort of exact opposite where... Uh, there's a bit more uh, scrappy long balls played back and forth, and then uh, Union Berlin are just uh, better on on the field and in, in their positioning for those loose balls. And uh, yeah, so I don't I don't know. I I didn't really want to go on a long tirade here, but Matthias, um, I I think maybe we we should talk about a little bit about the uh, tactical setup from Union Berlin because um, what they did so nicely with uh the aforementioned uh, Teuchert and uh, Griesbeck and then of course uh, with uh, Brümel as a number six is they um, outnumbered Dortmund's midfield a little bit um, and they either had a sort of a man-marking scheme with Witzel and Schan but I thought that their number eights were actually a little bit in front of Witzel and Schan at at some moments and, and sort of cut off the pass to, to Dortmund's central midfield and uh, cut that one off. So um, I thought that was a nice tactical ploy, but overall um, you could see that whenever a Dortmund player uh, received the ball, say a central midfielder or one of Dortmund's attacking midfielders or strikers, you could always immediately see uh, one Union player making a run right to uh, greet them when the Dortmund player was uh, to gain the ball, and that made it really tricky. No, I agree. I mean, I already commented this um, before all the goals flew in against Stuttgart, um, that Stuttgart did a really good job in, and Augsburg did this already. Köln did this eh, a little bit less so. Uh, and obviously Union Berlin did it very well. And it's something that I always admire from Atletico is that they not just man-orient mark at times, but they cut out the options of the pass. They they control the half space incredibly well and then do an extremely aggressive press after I, I wouldn't it's not deep in their own third, but let's say high in their own third. Um and that's so incredibly effective in frustrating the opponent, especially when you're dealing with an opponent that is very pass-oriented. Um, obviously, that's something that Atletico has done for years in La Liga. Uh, that's something that um, Union Berlin did really well overall last season. Sometimes it didn't work, um, but but oftentimes it did. And then you combine that with being very good on the counterattack, which, granted, Union Berlin were incredibly wasteful, <laughs> uh, whereas Stuttgart were incredibly clinical. Um, and, you know, you kind of force mistakes. And then there are other things, obviously, Dortmund created as well uh, that led to their own demise in some of these matches. But there is a certain MO. If you look at uh, the matches, most of the matches Dortmund, Dortmund lost this season, taking Bayern out of it, Augsburg, Union Berlin, VfB Stuttgart, Erster FC Köln, those four losses were lost in eerily similar ways. I'm going to take Köln out of it a little bit because they were a little bit more passive and Dortmund were a little bit more unlucky in that match uh, when it comes to their came to their own possession and finishing because they did create chances. 
But if we just look at Augsburg, Stuttgart, and Union Berlin, who all played pretty much the same way and scored goals in pretty much the same way. Um, set pieces were key. Counterattacks were key. Pressing aggressively in their own third was key. And shutting down the half space passing options was key. It's the same thing. And Dortmund had crazy high amounts of possession in all of those matches. Yeah, 70% um, against Union. Exactly. And that's where Tobias Escher once again was like, hey, remember <laughs> my stat I keep on telling you about when Dortmund has like 68, 75% possession, they lose. Uh, and there's something to be said for that. Um, you know, I mean, you, you, I mean, Mourinho won a crap ton of titles playing that way, though granted, not the last few matches. But anyway, uh, that's, an, <laughs> that's a different painful story. But it's, it's similar. And that's where it's frustrating that they don't seem to understand how to deal with the same opponent three times. Three times. And honestly, four times because Lazio played the same way, the exact same way in that first Champions League match. And they couldn't get it done. And so the question is why? Some of those matches, Holland was there, and a quite a few he wasn't. So obviously, he's a game changer. We already talked about that. But there, there's more to it. Well, can, I, can I read you a passage yeah. quote from the post-match uh, news yes. conference? He said, we were often playing against the, quote, standing formation, which means we have to move our opponents better by moving the ball faster. But in order to move the ball faster, we have to move better. Translation, our positional play is ass. Yes, yes. And that's what we talked, bemoaned about Dortmund at the beginning of last season, remember? I mean, Lars was going on and on about the Dortmund's positional play in attack is shit. Yeah. Sorry. No, you, you're right. This is, this is the, the problem. Like, um, Dortmund in this game actually managed to bypass Union Berlin from time to time. In the way that they actually had when they when they overloaded the half spaces with uh, Sancho and Reyna, when they moved more onto the inside, you had touches in the half spaces. You had the ball in the zone where you sort of wanted, but then there's no fucking run to be found or anything that would create an opportunity for the through ball for the final ball. So this is sort of my main gripe right now, and uh, arguably we're um, you know complaining on a very high level. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, obviously uh, that is uh, the high art of football, you know, sort of getting the ball from the final third into uh, the uh, zone where it hurts. And obviously Dortmund did that uh, a couple of times by finding Mukoko. Who just needs to grow. Just grow a little bit more, Yusufa. You're too short. <laughs> but but overall, um, I think Dortmund are not doing this uh, forcefully enough and... Uh, not not good enough. And when we talk about the men marking thing, um, <laughs> that that sort of um, made me almost chuckle because you are sort of playing against the quote unquote standing formation. I know it's not the best translation, um, but stehende Formation is also not that easily it's to translate. You're playing against a block. Yes, but a um, low block. Sort of, but but uh, I feel like the the word standing here only comes from the fact that when you men mark. Uh, and you mark your man and he's standing, you're also not moving. So it's Correct. sort of the, the, the big problem is like the, the staleness. You know, the three fucking day old toast that's been laying uh, around in our kitchen, uh, which obviously it hasn't, but uh, for this metaphor it has, 
is 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 still more uh, fluid than Dortmund's attack, and this is something that really needs to change uh, dramatically. And I think um, this can be solved a by more players. Uh, because I think you need to rotate more, um, but also by a couple uh, clearer uh, patterns and schemes in the in the final third, which need to be trained and cannot because there's no time. So it's Correct. it's a catch twenty two right now for Dortmund because their attacking sequences. And I like to talk about automatism all day on this podcast, but honestly, uh, they're not good enough. There are too many misunderstandings. There's the ball into into space by Hummels and Sanchez just standing there, or you see a back heel by Mokoku, and then there's such a central standing there. <laughs> Sorry, too too bad uh, examples. But uh, same with Giorena. He sometimes doesn't make the runs he needs to to make, and uh, it's it's just very frustrating. And obviously, Dortmund then take too many touches and and recycle possession, etc., etc., and. Uh, fall into the good old Favre patterns where then you just take forever. I mean, if we if we take a look at the goal that Dortmund scored, it was actually sort of a transitional moment, if you will, because Dortmund had a corner and uh, obviously Union cleared it. Then it was Avoni who uh, ran away with it, but he had a heavy touch and sort of got intercepted by Reina and he passed it to Jan, who immediately laid it off with one touch. Very important to Guerrero, and Guerrero took one look, stopped the ball, and then passed it sort of into the the left channel. He he passed it sort of to to the left side of Friedrich from uh, Dortmund's perspective, and uh, Mukoko obviously made the run. And I will say this: um, the way Mukoko just had the eyes on the ball, didn't even look where the goal was or the goalkeeper, and just pounced on it. Um, it was very Holland esque the the finish. Yes, hundred percent. I I gotta say. Uh, if if there's a way to score your first goal, um, that's that's one way to do it. I I must say, and obviously at 16 years and 28 days, uh, even more amazing that uh, it's it's a record. I I just really feel bad for Mokoko because ever since uh, uh, he sort of participated minus the Hertha game, <laughs> shit really hit the fan. I kind of feel bad for the kid, but um, yeah. Uh, it, it was a great striker's goal, and uh, as as you said before, it's it's kind of tragic that uh, in in a few situations he was just too short, uh, trying to slide into the ball because the sort of Giorena's pass was more calibrated to a Haaland than the Mukoko. Um, and uh, yeah, I think he hit the post once, but uh, yeah, that was sort of positive. But uh, um, and I mean, his joy. Yeah. His joy when he scored that goal. <laughs> he didn't even know it how was to a, He didn't know what to do. Yeah. He didn't know what to do. It <laughs> was and and that's that's why we love the sport. It was great to see. It was great to see. I mean, I smiled with the kid. It was it was awesome. However, uh-oh. Enough positivity. <laughs> um because we've been just rays of freaking sunshine so far. But there are a few things that that see. This is probably one of the most prepared podcasts from both of our sides we've come into it. Um, there well, are a few little notes that I made during the match. Is and a lot of it is why can't you learn from history? <laughs> I mean, I have a degree in history. I believe everybody should study history because it would explain some of our dumbass societal decisions we've made in the last four years. <clears throat> but. <laughs> the the same dumbass decisions are being replicated at Dortmund because I remember distinctly the time when Marco Reus would play in the number 10 and all of us said, he's not a 10. Put him on the left wing. 
he can cut in, he can move into the half space, and he's better at moving out of cover shadows. So forward to 2020, and Marco Royce is playing on the fucking 10. <laughs> because he's too fucking slow to for any other position. No, he's not. I don't care. He's <laughs> he's not that slow. He's here's the thing. I don't think he's necessarily slower than Gio Reyna. Gio Reyna is not a speed demon. Gio Reyna is very raw. And I know there are a ton of fanboys out there and I get abuse for ever critiquing an 18-year-old. But Gio Reyna sucks at getting out of a cover shadow. He is horrendous at it. And it and, and it's because of his age. He's 18. He hasn't learned that. Mukoko fell into that trap too, but he's 16. Jaden Sancho doesn't get out of a cover shadow because I don't think he gives a shit. I mean, he just stands there. And that's that's where I think what where you're getting at, what Tazish said when you're talking about a standing formation, if you're not able to get out of a cover shadow, which I know is harder when there are 10 of them <laughs> around you, um, it you play into their hands and you make it very, very difficult. And you just don't have that creative playmaking central midfielder that can just play that unlocking pass, but that unlocking pass goes nowhere if there's no movement out of the cover shadow of the opposition. It and takes that's, two to tango, people. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and then playing it at speed. And again, you can only play at speed if you have someone to play it to. You know, and, and people complain about, oh, Vitzel did another sideways pass or another backwards pass. Where the fuck else is he going to go with the damn ball? He's got nowhere else to go. There's nobody moving ahead of him. And Vincent's number one job is don't lose possession. And he's exceptional at that. He really is. He's so hard to get away from the ball. So then naturally he's going to recycle play to somebody else. And that's just not enough. And it's not cr criticizing Axel Witzel at all. I mean, I don't think he's one that you can point at and go, oh, that's the problem at Dortmund right now. Um, you know, and, and the, the, the set pieces, when you listen to what Hummels said after the match and what Tezic said after the match and what Michael Zwak said after the match is that they had an exact man-marking scheme. Everyone had a specific player that was given to them to mark before the match even started. They said, you will be marking this person. <laughs> and it broke down twice. Once we know exactly who's to blame, because Gio Reyna just let his guy go. I, I, I think and, last time I tweeted about that, asking why he is uh, marking the uh, striker in the first place of all people. Well, part of it is also physicality, of course. You know, I mean... When you're dealing with a striker who, let's just say this, is not prolific in front of goal, you can put... Gio Reyna's not a short guy. He's not a little guy. I mean, he's always surprises me when I look at him. He's like, oh, he's actually pretty tall. He should be able to do basic man marking. Basic stay with him somehow. Because obviously, the, the most dangerous headers of the ball are usually found in more central defensive positions. Um, be it in midfield or defense. And so that's where you're going to have some of your best headers placed up against them. If Gio Reyna just doesn't let his guy just go, <laughs> then that already makes it so much harder for a striker that had a hard time scoring when it was really easy at times. And then obviously in the second goal, 
it's not a hundred percent sure which guy screwed up. Indications are that it was Emre Chan who just didn't mark his man and instead decided to double mark someone else with a kanji. That's that's the initial report that I can't substantiate, but if we go by that, or just ignore that and say, okay, it's one of those two guys. I have a hard time believing it's Akanji because he marks people for a living. Um, but it just that that's the basic rudimentary stuff that you cannot let happen. And that's when people like Tsok and Hummels get frustrated <laughs> and say, maybe you just don't want to win enough. Yeah, the the, Obviously. the the funny thing is that Zork already had his head in his hand before the goal went in for the he second one. He looked so old. He looked so old. Very tired. On the sideline. Very tired. I felt really bad because he's my guy. He's he's my favorite player of all time. He is BFOB. And he just looked like he looked like Danny Glover. In Lethal Weapon going, I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> I mean, that's what he looked like. And I felt really bad for him because he's he. this isn't like some laptop coach or some guy who played in the lower leagues and then got a business degree and became a sporting director. He played that. The, he won the freaking Champions League with Dortmund. This is a guy who did it all. He understands what you can and can't do, what is and isn't possible. And basic, basic, rudimentary, assigned man marking is something you are taught in the Kreisliga, let alone the Bundesliga. And it is not that hard to remember, oh, Union Berlin, I think they're good at corners. Yeah, that oh, guy that scored four goals yeah. already, maybe. Maybe we maybe should, I should mark the guy I was told to mark. And the other thing that Hummels addressed in, in his post-match interview was, listen, sometimes those near-post corners that are flick-ons are extremely hard to defend, especially when the corner is executed very well. But Because he admitted Köln kicked those like to almost perfection, to almost to a point where it's hard to defend. He said, but you have to defend the second post. You have to run with your man. You can't let the best header in the team just kind of stand around. The the one there is where obviously uh, where the ball was kicked to the first post, and uh, the the problem is, I think we should really complain about Girena and his uh, his absolutely dismal coverage there. <laughs> you, you just said if if this happens in the NFL, touchdown. Obviously, yeah, it's what we call broken coverage. Yes, the uh, ball was played for the near post into triple coverage. There was Marco Reus, there was Hummels, and there was Meunier, all fucking guarding Grisha fucking Prümel, one guy. And Reus runs to the ball, and then inexplicably, he just stops. Why did he stop? Marco, what are you doing? What are you doing? Just fucking jump, and not just stand there and hope, oh, well, maybe the guy behind me, he can get the ball. Yeah, well, the guy behind you got the ball, it was freaking Prümel, not Hummels or Meunier. And it all looks very, very awkward. Uh, especially if you miss the stop motion there while uh, everyone around you is sort of moving and scrambling. Um, so, yeah, that's that's uh, the uh, the most annoying part that uh, out of fucking four players uh, that are standing there, they pick out the one on your guy. And, I mean, it wasn't even that precise. He had to actually run into the space and there were three to react and uh, no one really did. So that just, just yeah. annoys me to no end. And then, obviously, yeah, Reyna is just... 
a sleep sleepwalking behind Avoni, who was just uh, you know sort of holding on to him. But at the time, uh, Avoni heads the ball through Burke's legs. You know, you can see Rena's extended arm, and it just. Just, just a freaking Australia between the two. Yeah, and you can make the argument. Now, once the ball gets past Royce, you can't really blame Meunier or Hummels in the sense because if they would have gotten to the ball, they would have had to have gone through Brummel. Odds are that's a penalty. <laughs> um, but where you can make the assignment difference is swap the two. Meunier is a tall guy. And he's a defender by trade. He's not a wingback. He's more a defensive fullback. Maybe he should be ahead in that situation rather than behind in that situation. But that's that's obviously the, the way they decided to divvy it up as far as responsibility because that's decided during practice and before a match. So I think it was a collective failure in so many regards. But again... You cannot let your man go. You can't. You just can't. And that's what happened. That's simply what happened. To me, the blame goes through the whole team. But the direct responsibility on both those goals was to whoever was supposed to mark the man. And we know who failed the first time. We have a pretty good guess who failed the second time. Well, it was either Chan or Kanji. I'm not entirely sure yes. if I would assign John to uh, Friedrich. I, if if it were me, I'd probably put a Kanji on him. But uh, probably, I, I but don't know for sure. And it, we it, can't it's just, say it. It's just weird though because um, after the news conference, uh, or no, I showed the the pre Union Berlin news conference. Tessic said how much he praised John for his communication skills. Well, uh, I'm sorry, where are the communication skills in that moment? Yeah, well, you can't say, I have this guy, you have that guy again, just to remind everyone, because the, <laughs> it was kind of hilarious, you know, as soon as Friedrich scored it, uh, every, everyone was just, you know, with outstretched arms. Everyone was just puzzled on how this even happened. I mean, we've talked so much about just these detailed situations now, but uh, I'm sorry, there, there, there's just so much going wrong for fucking basic play. It, it's just it's just tiring, it's annoying, and I wish it could stop. Matthias, maybe this is this is a good time for you uh, to roll up your WebMD <laughs> dissertation and uh, talk about uh, fatigue and how it may actually affect the decision-making that we have uh, uh, puked over for the last uh, 5 to 10 to 15, 20, 30 minutes. Um, so, obviously, seeing that Dortmund uh, conceded now four goals from corners, um, which was an old issue, but that had gone away. Uh, I think we can all agree with it. Everyone identified that as an issue. It got resolved. So why is it coming back up? And why are there issues in the build-up play and with passing through the build-up play that have really affected things? And so I'm like, well, we talk a lot about fatigue. How does fatigue actually play into this? Because Dortmund has a greater amount of match fatigue than some of the teams that have beaten them. And aside from Bayern, actually, all the teams that have beaten them in the Bundesliga are not playing internationally. So they are more fresh. So... Um, I decided to spend far too many hours looking at this and reading through sports medical journals, 
whether it's reviews, dissertations, studies, and so on, uh, across multiple sports. A lot of it football-related. Some were water polo, some uh, basketball, some ice hockey. But it was it was team sports-based because obviously that's the key thing here. And all of them found that fatigue did very had very little negative impact in the cognitive ability of an athlete to make the right choice as far as shooting, where to play the ball, where to identify a teammate. It didn't affect them. In fact, in some cases, it actually made it better. Where fatigue plays in is reaction time is shorter. And the decision-making when it comes to body positioning gets effective, which then also can lead to increased muscular injuries and knee injuries, which is obviously something that has been talked about um, with all these matches. I mean, Jürgen Klopp, I think, wrote some of the dissertations. I need to double-check again. Um, So, But then one of them linked and said that during their findings, they saw that stress was a bigger issue when it comes to decision-making. And obviously, you click on a link and another link, and then you read a bunch of papers – and stress is a significant cause for bad decision-making when it comes to where to play the ball, which shot to take, which teammate to find. And it's specifically, and it was interesting, some of these studies, they specifically pointed at football that ball-possession-oriented teams, like Dortmund, suffer more from stress and the negative impacts of stress on their decision-making than a team that doesn't care about ball position, like, I don't know, Augsburg, Köln, Stuttgart, Union Berlin, so that when they're not doing something with the ball or when they don't have the ball, they panic, they make the wrong decisions, or they feel like, I got to make something happen now. And so in build-up play, they start making sloppy passes, which is all of the sudden something that's crept into Dortmund's build-up play, which was not there for the majority of this season and the majority of the second half of next season, uh, last season. Um, and so that does explain all of this. So if you add to it poor reaction time, which you could maybe blame a little bit of that first goal in Gio Reyna, he just didn't react quick enough. So there's some fatigue maybe there. And then the panic and stress of we need to do something and we need to move the ball and we need to do something – and then you make the wrong decisions or no decisions is obviously something that we're seeing at Dortmund at a heightened amount right now. All right, I'm just going to come out and say this from uh, re-watching the match a little bit. Um, in the perfect world, Rafael Guerrero will not enter the pitch other than as a substitute because um, he was just not, even though he, he got the assist and had a couple of key passes, he is not in the physical shape right now. And... Uh, I'm I'm very sad to say this, but even more so, Giovanni Reno should have not been playing in this game because he was just awful. He was able um, in uh, many situations uh, where Dortmund conceded, he was sort of involved. Um, you know, just escorting uh, the the guy to the corner flag is maybe one thing where uh, maybe you were a bit smarter. And also, when you actually try to block this, the, the cross in the end, uh, if you're not as fatigued as Reyna clearly and visibly was, um, usually you can position yourself in in the way that you don't block the ball for it to go out to a corner. But obviously, it's it's a bit hard to say that now in hindsight because all the, the player wanted was to get that corner. That was literally the only intent there. 
Um, but uh, obviously, Reyna also had a couple of good moments, uh, like blocking the shot in the path to Mukoko in the ninth minute, which then was a pass right to Sancho, who then sort of fumbled it and hit it straight at the keeper and Matthias. Um, I think that brings us quite swiftly to our next topic. Dortmund also, minus the fatigue, have a big form problem, and that comes down in the numbers of, for example, Jane Sancho and... Um, Julian Brandt, Sancho at the same time last season after 13 match days had five goals and seven assists. Right now in the Bundesliga he has zero goals and three assists. Julian Brandt uh, not that prolific. Julian Brandt had uh, one goal and one assist and uh, right now is at zero goals and one assist. So um, just goes to show that Julian Brandt uh, needs to up his numbers regardlessly. And uh, I actually looked at it. Brandt at Leverkusen had an average goal per 90 of 0.29 opposed to 0.1 right now. And his uh, assists actually went up uh, from uh, 0.24 to 0.26. The uh, assists per 90 and the uh, goals and assists combined for Brandt at Leverkusen was 0.53 compared to Dortmund's 0.35. And uh, there's a little asterisk here, which I marked for the uh, heightened assists, is that his expected assists were actually higher at Leverkusen than there at Dortmund. So it means that maybe uh, the finishers he's passing the ball to are doing a little bit of a better job at finishing. Um, but just to juxtapose Jaden Sancho of this season with the, the last season's Sancho, um, Matthias, um, how much of a difference does this make right now that uh, he, for whatever reason, really does have the yips because the chance in the ninth minute where he has the ball pretty centrally in the box uh, and then sort of just scuffs it at the keeper. Um, what what are we making of this? And uh, do you think he'll be coming back from that? Because uh, you said pre-part that in hindsight, it probably would have been better had Dortmund cashed in. Yeah, I mean, hindsight being what it is, if Dortmund would have gotten 80 to 100 million, even spread over two seasons, they could have invested that into the squad in areas that we now know need investing. Uh, obviously, that didn't happen, so we're we're dealing with what we're dealing with. The problem with Jaden Sancho, for me, has always been his attitude. His decision-making off the pitch has been questionable, to say, to put it extraordinarily mildly. Um, you know, immature, obviously, given his age. Granted, now I think that excuse is going away. Um, we throw on top of that, then he does have, it seems, when you look at his body language, it seems as somebody who's given up, who's lost confidence, and who just doesn't care anymore, who's kind of checking out. And someone like that shouldn't be on the pitch. I mean, that's, it's that simple. He, I would rather, and I am curious to see when Azad is fully fit, I think he should start ahead of Sancho. I mean, I'll be honest. I just think there's, Sancho needs to be off the pitch. Reina needs to be off the pitch. I'd like to see give Brandt another run starting, but in a 10, not on the the wings. And then you have Hazard and Royce on the wings to kind of see how that movement goes. And obviously then after the very long winter break, eventually you'll have, um, I say that facetiously, of course, you'll have Holland back. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's, it's, it's going to be very interesting uh, because I do think that Dortmund do lack another winger at least, just... Uh, uh, for the sake of rotation, um, 
But uh, it's also interesting that you say that because Hasich is uh, a testing center that he is, uh, in fact, not giving up and that he's uh, fighting uh, and that the effort is there. It's just that the end product and the, the quote-unquote magic of his isn't there and that they're working very hard on... on uh, uh, sort of reigniting that um i'm i'm reserving judgment for now because to me at least it does look like sancho is um trying but uh, i think we have to frame it in the in a sort of way that uh, even when he's trying uh, in comparison to others relatively uh you know other players do try harder when 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 they feel like they they want to achieve something just just saying that um, but uh, sometimes it's also a bit unfair to, to say that he's not trying at all. Uh, I think that that uh, would take away a bit of credit that he does deserve. But uh, yeah, it, it looks all a bit unfortunate right now. I'll, I'll say this at least. So um, yeah, but it's 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 kind of crazy because if you look at the chance in the ten for ninth minute or whenever it was, um, that's that's just the frustrating part about this game in general is that yes Dortmund did lose two one but they don't need to do too many things differently to win this one right so this is this is what's so annoying obviously set piece defending if it were a little better sure uh, Mokoko hit the post and had a couple of uh, chances where he was very close to uh, to scoring where he was just too short um, so Matthias I think. If we if we want to get a tiny positive glimpse, even though maybe this game does not deserve it really, but uh, is that Dortmund were not awfully far away from at least getting a point or all three, just uh, you know the old the old issues coming back to haunt them. Yeah, I mean, even going back through all the matches Dortmund lost this season, um, you know, the only ones were in the Bundesliga. The only ones where I would say that. If you look at the entire match, Dortmund were really ineffectual. It was Augsburg and Stuttgart. Yeah. Uh, you know, even Bayern could have gotten a point out of that one. Um, I think the Köln loss was entirely avoidable had they been more clinical. Um, and the same can be said here against um, Union Berlin. There were definitely chances for Dortmund to score goals. I mean, look at Werder Bremen. There were more chances to score some higher percentage chances goals than the two goals that were. Some of it was just down to Mukoko being a couple of inches too short. Um, but the the opportunities were there. And we can't forget against Union Berlin, Mukoko also hit the hit the post. Um, that being said, of course, Dortmund made some stupid mistakes and buildup that led to huge chances for Union Berlin that they didn't cash in on. So maybe if you put that all together, it's probably the right result. The Köln one where it's that that was entirely avoidable. If Dortmund just would have focused just a little bit. Yeah, but but either way, it's it's not pretty pretty now looking at the Bundesliga table. I mean it's it was kinda annoying already to have this game on, on uh, this game on Friday and then uh knowing that uh you know you could watch Bayern against Leverkusen and, and whatnot and uh <laughs> you can't really look forward to it anymore because, you know, Dortmund can't really take an opportunity of it. So um, I guess it did help in the sense that the Leipzig and Leverkusen um, drop points. If you think more about the uh, fight for the top four, I don't really think we have to talk about the title race anymore because uh, this Spurs to Dortmund are nowhere near that conversation right now, just in the standpoint of performance. Leverkusen, Leipzig... Even, heck, even Wolfsburg, to be honest, uh, even Stuttgart, uh, right now all on a much more stable level. The only team that's also struggling is, of course, led by uh, 
Dortmund Savior Marco Rose. <laughs> Because Borussia Mönchengladbach also are not doing too well right now. Dortmund right now are eight points already off the lead. Bayern Munich, Bayern Munich have 30 points and Dortmund 22. And uh, yeah, Leverkusen Leipzig are six points ahead. So um, that was not a great December, I would say, Matthias. So um, yeah, shall we move on to the uh, cup match then and uh, leave the Bundesliga behind us for 2020? Yeah, so, I think so. Okay, so Braunschweig is the next opponent. Um, they are in the uh, second round of the cup because they've beat Hertha Berlin in an epic 5-4 cup thriller. And uh, right now they are... Not in the greatest form. In uh, 15th place in the Zweite Bundesliga, they have three wins, three draws, seven losses, and the goal difference of minus 16. They have won only one out of the last seven games. Uh, I think that was against San Pauli, and uh, recently on Saturday, they got, they got whooped 3-0 by Greuther Fürth. Usually going into this sort of game, you would say, yep, this should be an easy walk in the pack for Dortmund, but right now we know it's December, <laughs> against the zweite Bundesliga team, I don't think anything will be an easy walk in the pack. I can be wrong, and I don't know why I have a Boston accent right now. <laughs> But uh, um, Dortmund are without smart pack. Yeah, <laughs> but Dortmund are without uh, Haaland. They are uh, they are without Schmelzer. Uh, Dahoud, Paslak, and Ranier are also out. Back in still with a little question mark is Torgen Hazard. He uh, Fully participated in uh, today's, which is Monday's, training session and uh, got on the bus um, that went off to Braunschweig. And of course, uh, also on board is Stefan Tigges, who is uh, the striker for BVB 2 and someone who was I was hoping for that Dortmund at least would nominate for their squad, uh, considering that there are other options in the wake of Haaland weren't great, and especially when Mokoku wasn't 16 yet. Um, at least to, to have him as a backup. But now uh, the uh, 22-year-old, 1 meter, 93 tall striker, and I think that's 6.3 or something for our United States people with the weird imperial system. It's going to be interesting to see how he will behave if he gets a run out. Um, he has been born in Osnabrück and joined Dortmund uh, from, or Dortmund's second team from VfL Osnabrück in 2019. He has scored 12 goals and seven assists in 18 appearances this season. Dortmund's second team, which is obviously playing in the, uh, is it the Regionalliga West? Yeah. Um, yep. Yep. They're playing in pretty good season and they're uh, a good shout for a team to get promoted to the third division. Some may remember Tigges from playing, was it last winter in Marbella? I don't think I remember him playing in, in this summer sort of preseason camp, I don't which recall. was weird. I, I think I think he he was there uh, during during last uh, year's winter camp. Um, and I think he scored a couple of goals there too. But please don't name me down for it because I, don't, I honestly, I just don't remember anymore. You, I, I think we are all just hoping that Dortmund somehow survived this and then just, you know, can close this year out and we can all forget about it. Yeah, but, you know, historically, Dortmund's always done so well in the Cup at this time of year against lower league opposition. I mean, it's always difficult. It's uh, Evening games in December are always ick in the best of years, okay? And this year is obviously not the best of years. Um, Braunschweig are playing at home. Uh, they've gotten 12 points in the Zweite Bundesliga this season, 10 of them at home. 
So obviously, uh, they are better at home. Uh, Dortmund, I, it, but honestly, it really shouldn't matter. It's not like they're going to be fans in the stands. Um, this is a game that Dortmund must win. And Braunschweig, nobody expects to win. So again, you're talking about pressure and stress <clears throat> and decision making uh, and give a crap. I would definitely put players out there that are not called Sancho, Reina, or Guerrero at this point. Um, I would play Brandt. Just put him out there. See what happens. Um, I, I, I doubt they're going to play Azad from the beginning. Um, it's just the risk isn't worth it. You can always bring him in if you feel like you need to. Um, I would prefer to see Paslak play. If he's, he's also play- out. No, he's not playing. He's also out. That's right. So you're probably going to have Meunier on one side, and I'd hope to see Schultz on the other one. I mean, it's kind of a match where it would be good to rotate a little bit, also to free people's heads a little bit. It's interesting. Tessich um, has said that he will uh, start you know, bringing fresh legs. Now, sometimes that could mean almost a brand new team, and sometimes it means like you change two players. So I'm really intrigued which side of the spectrum Tessic falls in when he uh, announces something like that at a news conference. Just out of uh, getting to yeah. to know the guy, uh, this is something I'm I'm looking forward to. And obviously, you know, the only real thing you can talk about going into this game is rotation. Well, that and Dortmund will definitely need a playmaking option in the double pivot. Uh, because I expect Braunschweig to put every player, dog, cat, house, bus, you name it, <laughs> around their <laughs> um, penalty area in this match. Hope for counters. And I'm pretty sure they're going to focus a lot on corners. Hmm. Um, I've heard there's don't one may have an issue there. So, ah. um, you know, I think if Dortmund can't avoid the stupid set piece, which obviously they're incapable of lately, um, then I think Dortmund will be fine. It's not going to be pretty. I don't think anybody expects it to be pretty at this time of year. Um, I do think Dortmund are going to win um, and we'll kind of move on. I I wouldn't mind seeing Dahoot and Delaney. Dahoot's al- also pivot. out, I'm sorry. Oh, he's also out. <laughs> or he's not coming. That's right. <laughs> I don't think he's injured. I just think they didn't nominate. He's you're not coming. Well, if that's the case, then Delaney and Brandt. But I mean, you need somebody more creative in a deeper position uh, because you will have to play those passes. Because if you put the playmaker too far, come on, up let's, the pitch, let's just put in Brandt and Bellingham double pivot. Let's go. Just do it. Uh, Yolo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not? I mean, <laughs> I mean, granted, honestly, against this opponent, you probably could get away with yeah, it. Yeah, I think so. I don't know. I'm. I'm. I think. What Dortmund right now need is more positivity, more creativity, and not not go to even more defensive-minded players and whatnot. I I think you need to get everyone who can uh, play a pass in there, <laughs> and uh, you know try to bring as much creativity and uh, Spielfreude as we say and uh, Spielstärke etc etc uh, onto the field and just uh, you know hope for the best. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I, I I don't know. It's it's going to be a gritty game. I also don't know if if Hummels will play. I don't know uh, uh, how far Zagadou is along after his uh, long injury, um, because I would like to see more of him. Uh, so yeah, I mean, gra- granted that Dortmund already play on January third against Wolfsburg, uh, you already have to sort of think about that game. Um, so yeah, I would 
get the rotation machine out of the bag. Granted, that's a bit tough without Haaland, Dahoud, Pasla, Granier, etc. But uh, yeah, it, it's also it also might be nice to to put Tigges in there, and that's something. I don't know why I didn't say it on, on, on recent episodes, but I was thinking about it often that, uh, you know, obviously he's a fourth division striker, but sometimes you, it, it would just help when Dortmund are chasing a game like this in Union that you have another target man up front and he certain can, certainly can do that and just try to change the complexion of the game a little bit that, like that because it's ob- obviously tricky uh, if, if none of your four guys can win a header against any defender ever so um yeah obviously i don't watch uh dortmund's second team often enough to assess it carefully enough to have an educated opinion about that but uh could have been should have been nice and uh obviously that is his first inclusion in a uh, dortmund squad with the professionals so or the seniors rather uh then uh yeah i'm I'm looking forward to it you know if if it works out maybe maybe something good c- can come out out of it because uh dortmund certainly do not have too many strikers let's put it this way so uh, yeah what yeah no <laughs> that's brand new information yeah, I know, I know uh breaking news puts goes at it again uh, <laughs> but yeah um but yes I think. I don't have too many more things to say about Dortmund. So Mm-mm. if 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 you don't mind, let's do a little prediction. Cause I think I I, I yeah. I'm I'm very positive now because after all the shit we just talked to, Dortmund will just turn around and blow them away, so they're gonna obviously win for nothing. I was gonna go with a three to zero result. To good old bottom dwellers, <laughs> Schalke with fear, Matthias. Uh, since you're the older one of us two, um, who's Hoop Stevens and why is he still around? He's one of the few people that actually gives a shit about Schalke. Um, I mean, obviously, Hoop Stevens brought Schalke their biggest success since 1958. Sadly, shadowed by Borussia Dortmund. <laughs> yes, uh, the same year Dortmund won the Champions League. Chalka won the UEFA Cup. So sort kind of like of a consolation trophy overall. almost. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. You know, when Bayern won uh, the um, UEFA Cup the season before Schalke, they were kind of like, oh, fine, we'll take it, whatever. Uh, They're like, yeah, it's kind of the loser trophy. I think Beckenbauer said something similar to those lines. The, the Cup der Verlierer, the loser's cup. Yeah, exactly, the, the cup of the losers. <laughs> so... Very befitting. Which, which Thomas Helmer recently, wasn't there like a, a, a draw for like the UEFA, was it the Europa League? Yes. I think he was there and just, Something like that, just yeah. repeated that line, which uh, was re- received just greatly. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I had of so course, much fun. Of course. But Hoop Stevens also, you know, probably the, the Schalke coach that got the most out of the squad that identified most with. Uh, the working class roots of Gelsenkirchen. Of course, he was before that manager at Roda Kerkrade. Kerkrade is a, also a, a more mining industrial area of the Netherlands, if memory serves me correctly. And so, I mean, he really bled Schalke and he felt like a Schalke guy. And I mean that actually in the most positive way possible. <laughs> so um, not at all. <laughs> and if, <laughs> and and of course got close to winning a title with them and then didn't. <laughs> um like so many. And Andy Müller. Um but the 
but he he's come back, you know, a few times over the years, and now he's been asked to come back because, to quote him, he said, you know, Schalke's in trouble, of course I'm going to show up. And Schalke being in trouble, and here's the problem, it almost doesn't matter who's on the sideline for Schalke, because the players just don't care. They just don't care. I mean, you look at that, they got outplayed by Bielefeld. I mean, outplayed and not not like, ooh, just a little bit. No, 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 Bielefeld, if they would have finished some of their counterattacks better, would have blown Schalke away, blown them away. And I mean, there was like six minutes of added time and Bielefeld players who had open counterattacks decided to run towards the the corner flag. Shout out to my man, Stefan Shiplock. (laughs) Exactly. Sven Shiplock. Sven, yeah, whatever. Whatever. Stefan, Sven, same name. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But it's like, what are you doing? Go to the goal. You're going to score. Schalke, I mean, Fehrmann's the best player they have and he's kind of mediocre. (laughs) <laughs> um, so it's just, because there you have players like Amin Harid. I'm sorry, Harid. Harid, aside from being whiny and a cheat, is just, I mean, he's talented, but he doesn't care. I mean, these are all players, if you look at it on there, like, can we just get this season over with so I can go somewhere else? Yeah, it's like, and once, like the Jets once minus you've the winning there, part. Yes. <laughs> but and But I mean, once you've gotten there, as a club in the Bundesliga, you're toast. You are done. You are gone because you have no money to bring people in. But again, I'm not even blaming the players or the coaches that have been there for the last, you know, I mean, think about it. Schalke have zero wins this season and three managers. Hey, but the, the issue was obviously from way at the top, Jochen Schneider talks a good game. It's his fault. Michael Reschke talked a good game. It was his fault. And obviously, you know, the butcher, who's no longer the head of the this disaster, it's his fault. It's not the fault of the coach. It's not even really the fault of the players, even though because I just think they're not good. It's the the system got destroyed from the top down. Uh, I feel bad for Hoop Stevens because he actually cares. And I think he's the only one there that does because the players don't. They just don't. Um, and I see, and, and I've heard rumors, you know, Tsonega is coach. I've even heard Fink, which hmm. that's awesome. Please, and Doll. And Wilmots. I've heard Wilmots. Oh, Wilmot. Please, please, please let it be one of them. Because Tsonega is actually a good coach, but I don't think he's going to get anything out of these players because the players have checked out. And you don't even have a winter break to kind of recheck in. They have no money. No one's going to want to go to that shithole of a town. And so, Schalke, get ready for Zweite Bundesliga because that's where you're going to end up. Yeah, if if you can financially afford that, if you can get the license for the Zweite Bundesliga. Uh, I think I think there there'd be a few few people looking the other way to make sure Schalke don't lose their license. Yeah, probably. Because God knows they've done that with Kaiserslautern. Yeah, no, you you you're probably right, but the, it's it's a big problem, and uh, <laughs> I think they're what two hundred. 30 million in debt or something like that. It's, it's, oh man, that Russian oil money sure lasted. Yeah. Or, or, or gas or was money. It it's not oil, it's gas. Mil- I, I don't know, but don't it, know. It's, 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 it's very, just crazy. Very just a crazy number. And like, if you talk about, uh, collateral, <laughs> you know, what assets do they still have? Who, who do they even have to like 
sell. And if you get relegated, you know, some contracts will just mean that uh, these players can leave on a free transfer. You know, that's that's just the, the, the sad part for them that there's just not much uh, money to make. And uh, I heard, I listened to the Rasenfunk and they had Philipp Seldorf on who works for the Süddeutsche Zeitung. And he said that uh, Christian Heidel, for example, gave a contract to uh, Sebastian Rudi uh, and paid him more money than Bayern did back then. Just, 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 you know, for one example, why everything financially is falling apart at Schalke, because, uh, when they sold, was it, uh, was it Zane and, and Kera and, and whatnot, when they got all that money and the cash in, they just burned it on players like Kuno Plianka, etc. So, um, yep. this is, this is really what, what, what killed Schalke. And apparently Christian Heidel is also partly to blame for the demise of their Knappenschmiede and the oh, under-19. And uh, usually that's sort of their safety net that when things start to struggle that they can at least bring a couple of talents up. But right now that's not really happening. And of course they, they lost Goretzka on a free transfer. They lost uh, Alexander Nübel on a free transfer. You know, just just so many players uh, that you could have probably cashed in on, Schalke just don't. And... Uh, I think this is really what what broke their necks. Just financially, all this mismanagement is just accumulated over the last four or five years, and now I think they're they're going down and they're really not coming back. I mean, it's it's not impossible, you know. It's it's really not. But uh, this, the the way this is going and the way this is looking right now, whew, it's gonna 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 take a bit of a miracle. I mean, uh, they're they're that last. They haven't won a game. They came close against Augsburg. Um, that game against Bielefeld wasn't pretty, but uh, you know, the uh, 16th spot is now six points ahead of Schalke, meaning Arminia. Uh, I mean, Mainz only have also six points, so it's not impossible. But Jesus Christ! Yeah, it's impossible. <laughs> They're getting relegated. I don't think they have a hope in hell. All right, none. Okay, none. Yeah, well, I, 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 I do agree. I'm just, you know. Theoretically, there's still a lot of games to play, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, yeah, but there were a lot of games to be played in 2020. How many did they win? Yeah, exactly. When when when's the day that Schalke will be a, a whole year winless? It's crazy. January 17 something. Yeah, yeah, something like that. It's like some less than a month away. Yeah, just just think about that, Matthias. We've we've been bitching here, sitting here bitching. <laughs> uh, for an hour and whatnot and then you look at Schalke and they haven't won the game in the freaking year <laughs> so uh i i think i think that's always a good reminder of uh how, how how poorly things could go since Schalke are only 40 kilometers away from Dortmund but it, it just feels like an entirely different dimension now and uh yeah it's going to be weird but uh, hopefully we'll have HSV back in the Bundesliga so um yeah We'll we'll see if we'll miss Schalke. Obviously, the Riviera Derby is something uh, uh, that's going to go away. But Matthias, uh, you know, we'll we'll talk about this again and again this this next year because yep. uh, Schalke looking forward to it. Schalke is going down, and they are going down in flames. But uh, Jesus Christ, do you, do you think now it would actually help or or make it even worse if fans were in the stadium? Oh God, so much worse. So much. I think that they, they could be thankful nobody's in the stadium because the abuse they'd be getting. I I mean, they couldn't play worse than they are. So I guess it doesn't matter. But oof, 
Yeah, no, I think that's the one thing. And I, and I think the fans should be happy that they're not allowed to be there and pay money to watch that garbage. It's true. It's true. All right, that's a good note to, to end it on, I think, Matthias. Please tell our listeners how to find you on the interwebs for more WebMD research. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter at Matthias. You can find me at Stefan Bosco. You can uh, find all of us at YellowWallPod on Twitter and Facebook. If you want to subscribe to the show, please go to YouTube, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, etc. And if you want to read our written content, go to theyellowwall.net. If you want to support us financially, please do so at patreon.com slash theyellowwall, where you can also, for 10 bucks a pop, sponsor an episode, get a shout out, or have something shouted out to someone you love or hate. I don't know. I don't judge. And uh, with that, stay safe, stay healthy, and until next time, goodbye. <laughs>